This is Teachings in the Air with Sahilthit. I'm starting a new series of podcasts called Let the Healing Begin. And that's, uh, you know, as many times in my life I needed to let the healing begin. You know, also to give context to what I wanted to accomplish this year with these podcasts, I thought of the, well, first off, the word healing. It means to become pure and original again, that word heal. You know, and I, I'd think of that word, and to become pure and original again before harm, and I think of the areas that the healers work in. And I've come to understand now there are many healers, different kinds of healers. And that the healing work that needs to happen for all human beings, it's either in the mind, you know, the, when we get triggered by seeing someone that, for instance, hurt us, physically hurt us, punched us, or kicked us, or said bad things about us. It's that memory that comes up and we feel pain and suffering or anger or depression. So we need healing in our mind. I needed healing in my mind about many thoughts that I would have that would stop me in my tracks during the day. I'd be going along, and all of a sudden there it is, a memory, because something I'd seen something that would trigger a memory of a hurtful event in my past. That's around the mind, you know, and I come to understand it when they say free yourself, that, we, that I needed to free myself, to find a way to literally wash my brain of that event that happened years ago, 
when I was hurt and I had pain and suffering or shame and humiliation. You know those feelings we feel as human beings. You know those thoughts, and it's like a record that goes over and over again, or there's this loop that we keep having these painful memories. When that happens, it's a sign that we need a healing or something is stuck, literally stuck in our, my brain. When I think about my life, it's embedded in my brain. Is it possible for me to clean that out? At one point in my life, I thought it wasn't possible. That there wasn't a way to help Jerry. That Jerry had beat himself up over the years. That I'm not a good, good statlium, a good man, a good father, a good partner, a good friend. You know, that's not. A, that wasn't a good way for me to live. Carrying those memories. And it's just like I got addicted to pain and suffering at times. And you know, that hurt feeling when it comes starts in your throat, like a burning sensation that goes to your heart, that hurtness, I would have that from those memories. You know, and of course, it happens in day-to-day -day life. We get hurt during our living time, too during my living time. Someone would say something to me and it would hurt me. That's the foundation of anger when usually it's when somebody hurts you or sees something that's senseless that doesn't make sense to you. And, and it turns to anger, that hurtness. And what is this anger? You know, when you get this feeling of want to get even or want, you want to hurt somebody or hurt something because of that anger towards another human being. And it got so I got angry with myself too. I wanted to hurt myself. You know, so the, there's many effects from caring all of that in my brain. How I'd sleep. Sometimes I'd have a hard time to sleep. Tossing and turning, you know, and wanting to go to sleep because I have to work tomorrow or do something tomorrow. And there's that thought going over and over, tumbling around my brain. And the attention. Dentist said, I'm a grinder. I grind my teeth at night. So I have to wear a guard. So it shows me that I'm still dealing with emotions in my brain, memories, my mind. Then, of course, we get tension in our body, our neck, our shoulders. My lower back was a big victim of my carrying around negativity in my brain. And our legs are our breathing. You know, this time in COVID, I started to do a lot of deep breathing, and it sure helped me. 
you know, even when to go to sleep. Because I'm like every human being. COVID disturbed me. I worried about relatives and friends catching COVID, myself catching COVID. At the beginning, they're thinking I might be all alone. Everybody might catch COVID and take them or it might take me. So those, I had to learn to literally calm my brain down, my mind, and start to clean it out, you know. Because this me mentioning COVID, then people hurting me when I was hurt in school, in elementary school. Growing up thinking I'm stupid and I can't do it. You know, that's in my brain. Then they're adding on, or the world is adding on these other statements about my people. We're called Indians. That we're lazy, we're crazy, we're stupid, we're stinking. Drunken Indians. That was in my brain. I had to free myself of that. Because those kind of thoughts, when you think them over and over again, it starts to like become part of my system. Even though, even though I knew that I come from a beautiful people, I believed that. I remember the stories from my uncle, from my dad, from my grandmother, from other elders about the strength of our people, what our people would do, what they could do. I had that part of me too. Maybe that's what saved me. But I had these memories that would keep coming back every... It wasn't like 24-7. But when I get a trigger for that memory, I'd see something... And sometimes it almost like it comes out of nowhere. I'd be sitting there and then I'd think about this hurtful moment in my life. Because they were moments. There were seconds. When I get struck by a teacher, you know, it's not like one whole class of being struck. It's just four or five blows across the head. And that, as a child, that messed up my mind. You know, so I... I didn't know that. Well, I knew my mind. I didn't, well, to be truthful, I didn't know a thing about healing or where to begin or that it's possible. When I first sobered up from alcohol and drugs, I knew that alcohol and drugs were hurting me, making my life unmanageable. So once I told people that, you know, my life is unmanageable because of alcohol and drugs. It was, I could stop. And I stopped. You know, so that mind business, healing the mind is real. Changing our mind. I would tell people every day we wake up, we can change our mind. I was told that that I could change my mind every day. It was like giving me permission. 
And I know that I changed my mind many times for the good. Changed my mind when I stopped drinking. Because you know how it is drinking. Uh, it's fun. That's the only way to have fun. It seems like I convinced myself that it's exciting and it's fun and it's get that feeling and to have those first two or three drinks. Laughing, joking around with my friends. But after a while, when I'd have too many, that sadness would come into me, or that anger, or I'd just black out and I wouldn't feel a thing. You know, so... I don't know, I don't understand all of that, but I know it's true for me. My life was unmanageable with that substance called alcohol. You know, so I stopped it, and it hasn't hurt me to stop it. Sometimes it hurts me to see how many of our people are harmed by alcohol and drugs. It brings me a place to a place of sadness, because I know how that feels. Been there, done that. You know, and I think that, uh, and I think of that, we didn't have alcohol in our culture, our way of life before contact. And we're totally okay. And I worked in addictions for many years, and it seemed to be very difficult to let people to convince people that alcohol and drugs are hurting you and you don't really need it. You know, so I know that feeling. I know that feeling of I need that or how am I going to have fun and plus everybody's doing it and if I stop, they're going to make fun of me. You know, it shows you part of my life was that I was afraid of other people's opinion of me. I wanted people to like me which is okay. If you, do good, if you do good things in your life and you help people and you're encouraging and you're positive, people will like you. But in a way, I just expected people or wanted people to like me without doing anything, and I was afraid they wouldn't like me. When I first quit drinking, oh, I told myself I'm going to quit. I wouldn't tell anybody. I'd go with them, go with my friends to the beer parlor and play pool. And I'd tell them, oh, I'm just going to have Coke today. Oh, okay. But I'd end up by the end of that evening drinking again. And part of it is a desire to be part of the group. <laughs> Our mind, I've been told, is very powerful. And that we don't use a lot of our brain cells. So that's about my mind, and I will get to how the healing began for my mind once I go through the, the other areas that we need healing in. Thank goodness there's only three areas for us human beings. First is the mind, and the next is the body. And this one is something straightforward, usually, like we get the flu, we drink lots of liquids, stay in bed, keep warm. Some take Tylenol, some drink sage tea, juniper tea, and they chew other things to help themselves. 
go to sweat lodge, you know, to help that physical sickness. And I was told by an elder that there's, he said specifically, I'm pretty sure there's 45, he said there's 45 major medicines for human beings. And he says, we only have so many organs, so those 45 medicines, you just find the right combination for each organ. And I believe him. You know, medicine for my lungs, medicine for my liver, for my heart, for my brain, which is, <laughs> to think of medicine for the brain for me was like far out. You know, oh yeah, there's medicine for my brain. And I, I found it one day. I was sitting with an elder and he was cutting up um, fungus, this fungus, and burning it. But at that time, I, I come to the realization that everything we used was medicine for us. Because I was sort of lost there a bit, and I thought all the medicine we're burning was be sent to the Creator. You know, <laughs> nowadays I think, no, that, that's for us. We thank the Creator, whoever your Creator is, for the medicine. But we burn that, and we take it in, and there's chemical reactions in our body, in our brain. So we, so we learn to take care of our body. If you have muscle aches, you might go for a cold bath, or a hot bath, or a massage, or... Reiki or something, you go look for help. Or maybe, um, you know, go get an alignment on your spine with a chiropractor because you're out of whack. So we learn that about our body. You know, and start to find out where the medicine for our body is. You know, I, I've been to... I could probably count them. Maybe six or eight dentists in my life. And I never liked dentists. Didn't want to go to dentists, didn't trust them, thinking they're about the money and stuff, and they don't like me. I'm an indigenous and they're racist. <laughs> That's what I thought. And at times still think. But I met a dentist and... After I turned 50, I started to have a dentist because my wife said, you need to have a dentist. <laughs> Imagine that after 50 years, finally having a dentist. Get cleanings, get the work done. That's number one dentist that really, she, she called me Mr. Allman. And that changed me and I wanted to go to that dentist. Others I'd go to, I'd, lay, I'd sit in that chair and I wouldn't trust them. There's no connection with them. Second one I connected with, just recently, he said to me, I'll work on your teeth, but I want to hear you tell me I love my teeth. I said, I love my teeth. I said, I was truthful with him. I always never loved my teeth or my body. 
because of trauma, post-trauma. Oh, and he listened. And he says, I understand. So we learn to take care of our body, muscles, teeth, brain, eyes, ears. And when we when I believe there's medicine for every organ in my body, I feel better. I feel feel oh there's if something happens there's gonna be medicine for me. That's a body. And the next area is a spirit. Oh yeah, I remember and I 1995, I was lecturing at UBC to a health sciences students, 250 students in this lecture hall. And they asked me if I go talk about the impacts of residential school on indigenous health. I said, oh, yes. Well, they asked me to go talk. <laughs> they were going to... They were students in occupational therapy and physical therapy. They'd heard about me. So they said, what would you like to speak on? I said, I'd like to let have them understand the impacts of residential school on indigenous health. Because at that time I was thinking, well, that's where it started for us. Because when I was at home, I was inclusive when I was a child. You know, before I went to school, it seemed to be pretty healthy. But once I went into the school system, I knew fear and shame and guilt and um, disappointment, all of those things. So when I looked up the word health, I said, oh, I'm talking to health sciences students. I better know what the word health means and science. So health... And uh, what I had read was to be sound in mind, body, and spirit. And I thought about it, and I said, oh, my gosh. I understand about mental health stuff, because that's about depression, anger, anxiety, fear, and things like that. You know, plus the heavy ones like schizophrenia and stuff like that. You know, for most of us, it's about our feelings. Not knowing how to deal with them or express them, or just hanging on to it, like I was saying, stuck in our brain cells. That's my understanding. This is Jerry's understanding. I want you to understand that. I want to tell you that. So I uh, thought about the spirit. Thought, oh, my spirit. And I thought about that, that phrase that the spirit holds a human body together. When the spirit leaves, the body falls apart. So it's like glue for the human body. When we have a spirit, we have life. So I thought of that. What's a sound spirit? A sound mind, that means I got rid of that stuff that's making me negative. 
fearful, angry, depressed. In my body, I'll go get ingrown toenail, I'll go see a doctor. If I get stomach pain, I'll go see a doctor. Earaches, I'll go see a doctor. So it's around the body. Where the mind, it took me a long time to get help for my mind. But I'll get into that later. But with the spirit. Okay, what's the sound spirit? Then I uh, come to this place, and I don't know where it comes from. If I read it or I heard it, but I come to understand the indicators of the sound spirit. Is first off, is that we have this incredible will to live. Doesn't matter how cold it is or hot or what's going on, we still want to live. We want to participate. We want to be active in our family, in our community. That's a sound spirit. Some people call it resilient. And resilient means the ability to recover quickly after trauma. That's being resilient. So I'm thinking a strong spirit is about, you know, just having an incredible will to live. No give up on you. No quit. You just keep going regardless. And also that you want to be successful in life. When you set a goal, you do go and do it and it's done. That's success. If you want education, you go every day and you listen to the instructor, you write the tests and you pass and you get a certificate or a diploma. That's success. Or if you want a job, if you want to have, a, you know, food, you apply for a job, you go there, you listen to your boss, you do the work, and you show up on time, leave on time. You know, you just follow all the rules and you do it, and then you're successful in your work. In relationship, you can be successful when you know everybody's working together. That, to me, that's relationship. You're relation, relating to each other. You're listening and talking. That's successful. You can be successful in your communication. People understand what you're saying, and they just don't, you just don't hear you being angry or afraid or depressed, but you can explain or you can tell people where you're at. That's success. You can teach when you know things you can teach people and they get it and they do it, that's success. You can teach culture, for instance. You can teach language. You can teach ceremony. And if you're a good teacher, people get it and then they do it. That's success. Then the other indicator of this sound spirit is uh, kindness. You're kind. That's a good, that's a good one, to be kind to be encouraging, to be friendly. And I think of that, and I think about my kind elders, how kind they were to me, patient, generous with their knowledge, kind, wanting me to be successful. 
And I imagine now that someone treated them the same way when they were young like me. They wanted people to be successful. Their relatives and their friends, people had come to see them. And they were kind, good teachers. Because I've seen bad teachers. They weren't kind. Maybe we still learned, but wasn't a good learning, you know. So kindness is an indicator of a good spirit. It means you want to be part of other people's lives, too, when you're kind. So that's uh, the areas that we need to heal. And we can, there is help out there for every one of those areas. I believe that and I know that. So this is the first part of the introduction to let the healing begin. What healing is, what areas we need to heal, and our and I'll get into the healing road in my next talks. And as we go along, and my guests, I want them to talk about this too. So this is the guide, guidelines and the goal and the vision of Let the Healing Begin. I started this podcast talking about healing. Let the healing begin. Sharing about how healing is either with our mind, our body, or our spirit. That's that's where where I needed healing. My mind was confused. It was negative. I wasn't taking care of my body. My spirit was weakened. I didn't want to live. So I was talking about those areas of healing, that that's what we need to focus on. And that's what I'd like to focus on for the rest of the podcasts with me sharing my views and my ideas because I'm an echo of my past. I'm a reflection right from childhood till today, 72 years of age. You know, what I say, I heard, I seen, I felt, I smelt, I touched in the air. And I reflect that back to you. I've read, I've listened to speakers, I've been to ceremonies, I've been in circles and meetings and conferences, and I, and I reflect those out to the world, what I hear, what makes sense to me, what I accept. So that's what I was, you know, because the, the podcasts are going to be about let the healing begin for all of us, one by one. So the area that I'm going to share next, my reflections on, my views on, is in regards to family and community. And that's that's a tough part for me personally, you know, and I can imagine it might be for others too. Because I can change myself. Like you've heard me say, every day we wake up, we can change our mind. I changed my mind. I can change my mind. I can take care of this body. I can strengthen my spirit by doing ceremony and ritual consistently, and I do. Now, when it comes to family, of course, we're talking about great-grandparents, grandparents, 
uncles and aunties, father and mother, siblings, cousins, you know, in-laws. You know, that's what we're talking about, family. And, uh, you know, I've thought of um, our, our lives as residential school survivors. We could be angry. I was angry at the church, at Roman Catholics, at Canadians, at British people. I was angry and it grew to a hate and, um, you know, and I was unhealthy. You know, so I could be angry at that. And I thought, oh my gosh, the younger generations that did not go to residential school, you know, were raised by residential school survivors. Like we went home without healing from the traumas of residential school. So we were bringing the residential school home and we caused pain and suffering with our family members. And I thought, oh my gosh, that must hurt even more. Because I could change, I, could, I was blaming the government, the church, you know, the British people. Because I felt they hurt me, they hurt me. I was damaged goods. And I was thinking about the children and grandchildren, the children of survivors, hurt by survivors. I thought, oh my gosh, because I've been hurt by some of my own people when I was a teenager. You know, I've been called a stupid Indian because I didn't know my language and I come back from a residential school. That hurt. Oh my gosh, that hurt. It uh, impacted me for years. I had to get some healing around, around that. And it was inner work because the guy that said that was long gone into the spirit world by the time I sobered up. So the complexities of doing that family work, you know, takes a commitment. First off, by saying, yes, I want to be family. You know, it's just like when you heal your body, you start to say to your body, I love you, body. I'm going to take care of you, body. Or talking to your mind. I'm going to free you from those negative thoughts. And when we talk about spirit, we're saying each day I get stronger. Now with family. I struggled for years just around the word love. Wanting to tell people I love them. But not it's not that I didn't know how. It was awkward for me because we didn't use those words. We didn't hear them at the residential school. And plus, we never ever talked about what this love is amongst each other. Not saying that we have to. But, I, you know, and I, I heard a speaker. Remember, I'm a reflection of the speakers, the elders, the facilitators, the teachers, relatives and friends. I heard this facilitator 
say love is not a feeling, it's a commitment. And the example this facilitator used was when you, they put the mother, the baby on the mother's breast, that mother saying, I'm going to nourish you, I'm going to take care of you. That's a commitment. So that commitment, when it's consistent with respect and kindness, good feelings flow between us two human beings and what sort of people nowadays call love. So, commitment to each other as family, as brothers and sisters, as children, of, as grandchildren, as cousins, you know, it's one of the statements I use with, especially with youth, you know, it probably could be for everyone. I have done it with adults too. And I'd be in, I remember I'd done it with um, prisoners once in the prison. I said, and I count to three, I want everybody to say to me, Jerry, I have a voice. And I'd do one, two, three, and I'd hear these people say, Jerry, I have a voice. And I'd say, okay, I'm going to do it one more time. Let's say it with feeling. One, two, three. Jerry, I have a voice. I'd hear it, you know. Then I'd say to them, use that voice to build, not to destroy. Use that voice to heal, to encourage, to support each other. And that's what one of my conclusions around family is that what we that we must do that consistently. Encourage, support. One of the I was in a residential school workshop somewhere in BC, I'm not sure if it was in Chilcotin country or carrier country, but I heard this one auntie say Teach, don't scold. And that resonated with me. Because you teach someone, then they're going to do it properly. But if you're scolding someone for not doing it properly, you know they're going to have an issue with you. <laughs> you know, rebel against you. That's being human, that's what happens. So, you know, and, Reconciliation is important work in our community, just amongst the families. Because we all make mistakes. We're all human beings. We all get weak. We get selfish. We get greedy. You know, all of those things that happen to all human beings. So when we do make those mistakes, how do we fix it? What do we do? How do we heal it? How do we make it original again? Before we start, we hurt each other or disappointed each other. I don't care about each other. What do we do? I have a couple of examples of it. And I've been working since 1976. I got called to a community and there was a concern for one of the young women was involved in an accident and was blaming herself and she became suicidal. 
So I went to that community, and I believe there was, I don't know, jeepers, over 40 of us in that room, in that little hall. And they wanted, the ones that called me from that family, wanted to see if we can fix this, we can help her. So we done it over two days. And I believe, you know, when we do it right, the facilitation, because facilitate means make it easy for them to speak about their issues and they're about learning how to support each other. So I, I was a facilitator. We had a sharing circle. And um, we're talking, I had them talk about their feelings. First off, about themselves. Then about what happened with uh, the young lady. And I sat beside the young lady because she was going to be the last. And, and you have a circle like that. Some people are scared to talk. Some people are, aren't afraid to. So it went around, you know, and... Uh, Lots of concern, lots of support, you know, were there. When it got to the young lady, she, oh, one of the things he had to do was saying, what, what I'm going to do to help. You know, but there were, there were ones in that circle when they talked about their own feelings, their own, what they want to change about themselves. And they, they shared their mistakes. And got to the young lady, she didn't feel alone. But she had a hard time to speak. She was sitting there and she started weeping. And I knelt beside her and I said, I will be your voice. I will speak to them. And I had someone bring a glass of water and she took a sip and started to get herself grounded again. And she said, I, I thought they all blamed me. I thought they didn't like me. I thought, look at, look at what I done. Look at the mistake I made. And I thought everybody here didn't like me. She started crying, and I stood up and I said to the people, if it's in your spirit to come up, I want you to come up and whisper some words in her ear. Words of support and encouragement. Oh, they all lined up. So that's an example of repairing a relationship. So it takes courage from that family and commitment to come together as a family. I done another circle with another family when the father was got cancer. And he wanted to connect with his children and grandchildren. Again, we done it circle style. Again, this one I had them whisper to the to the survivor what they appreciated about them, that they want to be part of the family. So they done that. I guess it's about connecting with words and sometimes hugs or a handshake. Or just being there for each other. Because um, I remember I asked this elder, what do we do when someone's really suffering? 
you know, like their spirit has been cut and they're just sitting there and they're like traumatized. He says, oh, I see what you're getting at. He says, <laughs> so wise and so gentle. This is what we were taught to do. He says, you go to that person, not too close, and you tell them, I'm here if you need a hug. I'm here to listen if you want to talk. And if you're not, if you don't want to do either of those, I'm still here to support you and I'll sit here quietly with you. I'm here for you. So I have taken that teaching and used it. And then one, one, one time I had done it, I was sitting there, probably five minutes, we're just sitting quietly. Then the one that was hurting started to talk, what, what was on his mind. You know, so when we start to disclose our troubles to another human being, I was told 50% of the stress leaves our body. So I suggest that we all start small, start slow. Don't, don't put too much expectations on yourself. Sometimes it's just like saying good morning to someone you haven't talked to and a family member or hello. Hey, I was thinking about you. Good thoughts. You know, start somewhere. Even if it's just saying Hello. How are you doing? You know, start to make those connections. You know, the systems that we lived through divided us. Let's not let them win. Let's put it in our mind. You know, and some we'll do that, and sometimes we have to wait a long time before they come to, come to us when we when we do apologize to a family member. But just I I realize people are healing on their time. And I healed on my time. It took me many years of work. I sobered up and I was twenty seven years of age and fifty I was still learning how to express my feelings to people that were close to me. So it's good to be realistic with what we set out for ourselves in regards to family. And we can we can do that. Make sure it's one step at a time, one day at a time, you know, and each day we can change our mind with our families too. And sometimes it might not meant to be. I was thinking of you know, and I was told that how it used to be. <laughs> so the elders, when I was young, used to talk because they they were connected to how it just used to be. They were born into it. Our culture, our heritage, our traditions. And when, um, like, if uh, the parents have a child and they're having a hard time with that child. The clan would meet and they'd say, okay, well, we're, we're going to go talk to that mother and father and say, it's best if you let, your, let um, the grandparents or uncles and aunties raise that child. Because it just didn't, wasn't fitting. It wasn't working. And that's a reality for all of us. Sometimes it doesn't work. 
And I say that so we won't um, think it's going to be perfect. There's some people we just don't connect with. Family are, are people out in the world. You know, I think that's the way it is to be human. But just be respectful with those ones that you don't connect with. Don't disrespect them. You know, there's no need to get into that just because we don't connect. You know, so that's uh, with the families. And uh, in the olden days, there used to be matriarchs. They'd organize the birthdays or whatever the gatherings are going to be and make sure people are involved, you know, and everybody listen to the matriarch. It's time to go pick in mushrooms and everybody would go pick mushrooms. It's time to dry salmon, everybody go dry salmon, <laughs> you know. And uh, reminders of how to be as family. You know, and we, I think one of the things, too, is the importance of uncles and aunties. Uncles and aunties at times were the best teacher for the children of your brothers or your sisters. Because when you grow up in the same house, you make mistakes with each other. Or you get into arguments that you don't finish. And your parents will be telling you something and you don't listen and the uncle comes in or the auntie tells you the same thing and you listen. And <laughs> you get it. I've seen that happen. It happened with me. So we need to go back to some of those old ways of uncles and aunties becoming involved with their nephews and nieces and cousins. In our way, the cousins would call us uncle or auntie too. So... You know, and to teach each other, to teach the children. I remember being taught. You know, this was now that we're taught to be relational in community. That means to be part of the community, participate, be participant. Like uh, you hear that saying, it takes a community to raise a child. That's the way it was when I was young, when I was a child. We could be playing with children or we'd be walking around. If it's lunchtime, they call us and come and eat. And we go eat. And uh, my mother and father say, when, you, when they do that, you would eat whatever they put in front of you. You don't say no. Because if you say no, they'll never feed you again, maybe. <laughs> you know, plus appreciate what they're doing. Um, I think I told this story. My brother and I were walking back. We went swimming in another lake. And we're walking back, and it got, it's getting evening. And we're halfway home, and... Uh, Elder sees us, hey, boys, come on, it's getting dark. There's a black bear over there or something. You guys go home in the morning, and he fed us and fixed blankets on the floor for us to sleep on and played his accordion until we went to sleep. I don't remember my mother and father being upset about that or worried about it. 
because I believe we're all doing the same thing then. You know, so when it comes to community, participate, help each other. You know, it's, um, I believe that's why we're so healthy because it was an inclusive space. And there's always encouragement coming from elders. Doesn't matter if you're a relative or not, when they see you doing something good, they say, way to go, hey, that's great, you know. Teach you. Encourage you. Support you. That's a community I remember my my granny saying, son, there never used to be locks in any of the houses. You can go in any house if you're hungry and help yourself. She said, we always were with each other. And I remember that story of her, my grandmother. Their house burnt down and her husband cleaned up the area where the house was, the foundation. They used rocks for foundation for that log house. So he cleaned it up and he cut the logs and hauled them with his horses. When he had all the logs he needs, my mother was saying that they were living in a tent. And my grand my grandmother fixed him breakfast and he was gonna start building that day. <laughs> and my mother said they they went out and there were men from the community there saying, Hey, we come to help. And the house wound up like that. That's community. That's being together. So we need to go those ways, you know, and I, we need to sit together, talk about how we want to live, agree with each other, what's harmful for our children, what's not good for our children, and work together. I know it's a big ask, it's a big dream, but I, I believe it can be done. And we're, we're going to go that way again. Because of the way the world is unfolding, we're going to need to support each other again. I remember that story of my mother saying, when she was a little girl, they go picking blueberries up on top of the mountain. And they get there and they somebody put out big covering on the ground, probably deer hide sewed together. And everybody would put all the food they brought because they're going to be there drying berries and the men are going to dry deer meat. All the food would go in the middle. Then there'd be cooks assigned. They'd cook for everybody while they're picking berries. Men are hunting. She, she said that was the way it was. And she said she remembered that one family one time camped away from the camp, didn't put their food there. And my mother, my late mother said, that was when we started to break apart. That was the beginning. So how do we get back together again? Because there's lots of mistakes between each other and our communities. Well, we need to let those mistakes go and admit we all make mistakes.
and start like starting over again. I heard an elder in Ireland say, let's turn the page, you know, let's move on. And I feel that's what we need to do. And that takes conversations, sitting down around the fire and talking about how we want to live together as a group of people. Start really simple. That it's not our way here to swear at each other, for instance, to really hurt each other with words. It's not our way. That we must be respectful and generous the way we were raised when we were, when we were young, talking about my parents and my grandparents. We were, I was raised, you know, just at that, I call it that dividing line. After that, there was more violence, there was more drinking, more drugging, accidents, different things happening different mistakes, some of them that didn't have to happen. We need to sit down and come up with plans of action of how we're going to talk to our children, how we're going to role model for our children, understand that our children absorb everything and they become copycats. So if they walk around hurting each other with words because they watched us do that, so we must take responsibility and be careful and sincere with our words when we're speaking to other human beings. Go back to those teachings, because that's a teaching. You know, to work as a team. I was asking the elder, how do you live in a relationship? And he says, you work like a team. Everybody works, everybody does something, everybody contributes. And that's, that's a lot of, it makes good sense, because when we resent people in our household is because life feels unfair. Like, how come I have to always cook or wash the dishes or do the laundry or sweep the floor or, you know, take care of the house? If that's happening, there's going to be resentment in the air. So we must all pitch in, in our community, in our households, and our children will follow us. So that's, uh, this is my introduction to let the healing begin. So I'll close by saying, let the healing begin for us one by one. Let the healing begin for the families. Let the healing begin for our communities. And I know we can do this. So thank you for listening to Teachings in the Air. I look forward to this season because I'm looking for people to talk to that think change, that want change. So watch out for on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the things we have for the upcoming podcasts. Thank you.